Welcome to the Fireside Giants podcast by Empire Sports Media. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rovardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson. And Daniel Jones has had an interesting start to the 2023 season. Now, week two, man, he looked elite in the second half of that win over the Arizona Cardinals. Looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Had a game for the ages, led a historic comeback for the New York Giants. But in week one, if you rewind a little bit further, not the best performance. Week three, also not the best performance out of Daniel Jones. Didn't push the ball downfield, but then again, didn't really have much of an opportunity to with the weak offensive line in front of him. So today, we're going to go ahead and discuss Daniel Jones, how he's played this year, and kind of some of these narratives floating around on social media that he's not a good enough quarterback to sustain wins, get wins in the postseason, which we have seen him do technically, but we also saw him lose in the postseason. But we're going to discuss some of these narratives, break down his season, and kind of talk about how Daniel Jones, maybe he deserves a little bit more credit because there are a lot of things going against him right now. Um, Not to say that he's absolutely risen to the occasion on every single occasion and become this elite quarterback, but I think that there is something to be said about Daniel Jones doing the best he can with what he has around him. So we're going to go ahead and discuss Daniel Jones, some of these narratives floating around. But before we do all that, make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topic down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at fireside giants but without further ado alex how are you doing today my friend and what are your thoughts on daniel jones i'm doing pretty good guys um just warning right now i'm gonna get passionate this episode as i normally do i have uh i just get on these rants and they just go kind of go wherever my mind takes them but you know what um I think there's an objective truth when it comes to daniel jones he's not the best quarterback in football he's not gonna you know he, he can step up he can step up and help bring a team back from the dead as we saw against Arizona. Um, He is capable of delivering elite performances as we've seen against, you know, the Vikings and the Saints and, you know, obviously Arizona in that second half, as I referenced. We've seen the best of Daniel Jones. Um, Now, the problem is a lot of people will make the argument that everything needs to be going perfect around Daniel Jones for him to be great. And I think that's one of the stupidest arguments I've heard. And notably, notably, when is the last time, and I'll ask you this, you know, man-to-man, when's the last time you saw the Giants' offensive line look competent? Competent. Maybe three times in the last decade. So right off the bat, you have to ask yourselves, has Daniel Jones ever had a perfect situation? No. Far from it. How about the roster last year with Isaiah Hodgins? Um, He was the only guy on this team that could catch the ball in the end zone. Uh, You know, I guess that was uh, one of our major highlights last year, our silver linings. This year, we added a couple more weapons, but the offensive line is still garbage. Guys, we're going into week four. We've had four different offensive alignments in four weeks, right? Many good teams. If you go look at the Eagles, if you go look at some good teams out there, um, their offensive lines are pretty consistent. Now, Dallas this past week. They lost to the Arizona Cardinals. They were missing Zach Martin, and I, I think their left tackle, too, or one of their starters, left guard, maybe. Um, they lost to the Arizona Cardinals with their offensive line beaten up. Uh, they, they failed to convert a lot in the red zone. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a lot of context that goes into these things. But what I'm trying to say is Daniel Jones has never had a perfect scenario. And I'm going to play both sides. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm also going to say Daniel Jones needs to be better at times. We've seen him miss throws. We've seen his accuracy fail him on those crossing concepts when he's throwing across our horizontal plane. We've seen him struggle in some ways that we ask ourselves, 
you know, great quarterbacks hit those throws. You know, good quarterbacks hit those throws. Sometimes he whiffs. Sometimes he misses on those targets. <clears throat> We've seen balls that he should have thrown downfield. For example, the, the, there was a route to Jalen Hyatt that he was open, and Shane Lemieux got blasted by Kinlaw right into Daniel Jones's lap. He could have got rid of the ball faster. And then there's arguments like this. Tua Tagovailoa, Tagovailoa has the fastest release time in football. He doesn't have much time in the pocket. If you understood the Miami scheme, you would completely understand why that makes sense. Tua's entire game at Alabama was quick throws. He never had a strong arm. It was get rid of the ball quickly, get rid of it efficiently, because he was an extremely accurate quarterback. He never had to wait and sit and sit in the pocket and navigate the pocket for that long, because his entire game was quick throws. When you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Raheem Moster and Akane, like, or a chain, whatever he's changed his name to now, it makes things a little bit easier, wouldn't you agree? Especially because their offensive line isn't that bad. Um, now Tua Tagovailoa adds arm strength to the mix, and he's able to throw the ball downfield to Tyreek Hill. So now he adds another element to a game that he's already used to. But what did what did the Dolphins do? They said to themselves, wait a second, like we know what Tua's strengths are. Let's use them. Um, my problem with the Giants is sometimes we go away from Daniel Jones' strengths. Uh, as the San Francisco 49ers said after this most recent loss, we expected Daniel Jones to run the football. The Giants didn't even have him move. They had him standing in the pocket, taking pressure, taking sacks. And when you're getting hit as, as often as he is, I, I imagine you guys probably remember Eli Manning at the end of his career when we were all calling him happy feet because he couldn't stand in the pocket for more than two seconds without getting nailed. That's what Daniel Jones has kind of had to you know, deal with the for the first four years of his career. He's constantly getting hit over and over and over again. If you were standing in the pocket and you were getting hit and Shane Lemieux was your left guard and Evan Neal was your right tackle, don't you think at some point you'd be a little freaking nervous? <laughs> like, I know I'd be shitting bricks. I'd be like, yo, I'm going to get hit on every single play. Um, you're, like, you're getting hit by Nick Bosa, who's a freaking tractor, on every single play. You know what I mean? Like, that's problematic. Micah Parsons is clubbing you. You know, Demarcus Lawrence is destroying you. Interior guys are killing you. And they're like 400 freaking pounds. After a while, you're like, I've just taken a physical beating. And now you're in your own head. You're thinking about it. You're mentally already compromised. So I'm giving Daniel Jones a piece of credit here in the sense that He's never complained about the offensive line being as bad as it's been, and we're talking about a bottom five offensive line year in and year out for the most part. The run blocking has been okay at times, but their pass blocking, as long as I can remember, has been abysmal, and I know a lot of you guys will agree with that. So when has Daniel Jones really ever had a good offensive line? The only good offensive line performances, I'll reference the one against the Saints and the Vikings last year, he threw for multiple touchdown passes and easily destroyed them on the defensive side. So... I'll say this, when we have seen the small glimmers of promise from the offensive line, DJ has been a lot better, but he still misses throws occasionally. He still misses the, some opportunities that are there that he needs to capitalize on. We see better quarterbacks do that. But like I said before, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Justin Herbert. And, you know, look at Jalen Hurts, for example, Anthony, and, and I'll, let you, I'll let you take over here. Sorry, I'm going a little long with this. But look at Jalen Hurts, for example. Would you guys say that he's a great quarterback? Would you say he was a great quarterback with the Giants offensive line and the Giants weapons? Maybe not. You know, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, Eagles have the best run blocking and one of the best pass blocking offensive lines in the game. They dominate week in and week out. Jalen Hurts stands there with more time than I've ever seen. You could order freaking McDonald's at the drive-thru at 11, 11 p.m. at night, and you know that line is long as hell. <laughs> so you could sit there and order McDonald's, and he'd still be in the pocket waiting to find an open receiver. It's a different game they're playing, man. Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, DeAndre Swift, Dallas Goddard. You know, they have a really good supporting cast there as well. Um, I would argue that Jalen Hurts without all of that is probably not that good. 
But when you put a position, when you put a quarterback in a situation to succeed, you see the best version of them. The Giants have not done that for DJ. And at the end of the day, DJ's contract may expire and the Giants may have not fixed everything around him to a degree of competency. And we may never see the best of him. Like, that's the, that's like a real situation that we may face in the future. Um, but, Anthony, when you're looking at DJ, and, you know, I want you to play both sides because I know that this is a very nuanced conversation. There's a lot that goes into it. And I'm trying to play devil's advocate on both sides. Like, he has to play better. But there's a lot of things around him that also are really bad. It's a team sport after all. You know, what is your perspective on DJ and how this Giants team can really help him turn it around? I mean, I've been pretty clearly critical of Daniel Jones for the last month, you know, this entire regular season. I've been saying that he needs to play better. No, the opportunities are not there for him on a frequent basis, but when the opportunities are there, I do feel like he's missed quite a few of them, like the throw to Darren Waller in this week three matchup against the San Francisco 49ers. Had he hit Darren Waller in stride, right in the chest, Darren Waller had at least 20 to 30 yards to go up that left sideline, put the Giants in scoring position, and bring the team back into that game against the 49ers. Instead, Daniel Jones throws it high and behind, which in that situation makes it a very difficult catch to overthrow a player of Darren Waller's height is surprising to say the least. I mean, the guy is six foot six. That ball had to be at least eight and a half feet in the air for Darren Waller not to be able to bring it down. Yes, I know it hit his fingertips, but guys, be realistic. Daniel Jones should have hit him in stride, and that should have been a huge gain. It shouldn't have been a first down catch that Darren Waller leaps up and falls over to catch. He wanted to catch that thing, move in stride, and go. So there's one missed opportunity from Darren Waller, and or from Daniel Jones, rather. And there has been a few this season. In week one, in particular, there were a few. Week two, he really hit on every every opportunity um, in the second half, but there also was a couple of other missed opportunities in the first half of week two. He had Darius Slayton on the left sideline, underthrew him, it got broken up. He also had Darius Slayton on the right sideline on a deep shot, threw it too far out of bounds. Slayton made an improbable catch, but he was out of bounds, so it did not count. So there were opportunities on the table for Daniel Jones to take advantage of, and he has missed quite a few of them. Now, I might have only listed a few there, but there are more on the film if you really dive into it, and those few that I mentioned, if you want to just say, oh, you're cherry-picking three to four bad plays, those are crucial plays, and in the NFL, three to four bad plays, three to four missed opportunities in a single game, that's the difference between winning and losing in the NFL. So for Daniel Jones to be missing those opportunities, he can no longer continue to miss those opportunities. Now, I'll play the other side of it because there's also the conversation to be had about the offensive line. Now, I put out a tweet this morning, just how bad has the Giants' offensive line been this season? Well, let me break it down to you from some stats via Pro Football Focus. Daniel Jones has been under pressure on 46.7 percent of his dropbacks the highest rate in the league the league average last season was 34 percent so over 12 percent higher than the league average last season that's how much daniel jones has been under pressure through three games They have allowed 27 pressures in under two seconds, nearly two times as many as the second worst team. So not only is he getting pressured, he's getting pressured faster than anyone in the NFL by double the amount, under two seconds. So Daniel Jones has on average less than two seconds to get rid of the ball before there's pressure in his face. Now, even when using added help, which means blocking six or more players like an offensive or like a swing tackle or a tight end, even when using added help, they have still given up pressure on 53.7 of those plays, the third highest rate in the league. The league average is 33.5, so 20% higher than the league average when blocking 
blocking six or more players. Six or more players, usually against a four-man pass rush. That is absurd to me. And honestly, that probably tells you that there's more than just a talent issue going on here. And there probably is an offensive line coaching issue going on here when they're blocking six and giving up pressure on 53% of those plays. Just absurd. Now, here's where things get extra interesting. Daniel Jones has earned a 44.0 pro football focus passing grade under pressure, which ranks 22nd among 34 qualifying quarterbacks. However, that grade jumps to 75.7 from a clean pocket, 16th at the position. So right now, Daniel Jones from a clean pocket is about an average to above quarterback in the NFL. But when throwing under pressure, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. However, he's under pressure on half of his dropbacks. So what you're getting is good Daniel Jones only half of the time. You're getting bad Daniel Jones the other half of the time. And you can argue that it's not Daniel Jones's fault that you're getting bad Daniel Jones on such a frequent basis. Because he's being pressured so frequently, you're getting the worst of him and that's not his fault he can't protect for himself now can Daniel Jones do some things better maybe avoid some pressure better yes of course can he scramble more often can the offensive play caller call more quarterback design runs to give him opportunities to get himself out of the pocket all of those things are also true this is a nuanced conversation there are many factors at play but bottom line is when Daniel Jones is not pressured he's playing some pretty good football but when he is pressured everything is falling apart for this New York Giants offense now What's the solution? Because this offensive line isn't just going to turn it around overnight. Yes, we're going to get Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen back, but you still got Evan Neal out there. You still have an inexperienced guard in McKethan at right guard, and you still have a rookie center in John Michael Schmitz. So you know that this offensive line is going to continue to stink. So what do the Giants do to fix this problem? Give Daniel Jones opportunities. Well, I think they need, first of all, he needs to capitalize on the opportunities. Like I said, he's missed a few, but he's also made the most of a few. How about that throw to Isaiah Hodgins in week two, um, the touchdown pass? I mean, that was a tight window throw, a laser, a dime that he he fit right into that tight window. Isaiah Hodgins gets the touchdown, the Giants go on to win the game, right? So Daniel Jones has made some damn good throws this season. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he hasn't, but he's missed some opportunities. But how do you create more good opportunities that he can easily capitalize on? In my opinion, there are a few ways to do it. Now, it's a conversation that I've been having, Alex, for the last... I don't know, three weeks, I've been mentioning it, play action passing. Guys, go ahead, look up the stats, search, do you need a running game to establish play action passing? Every single analytical study that they've done on football and done on the sport tells you that even if you have not established a good running game, play action passing still works, increases your yards on average per play because NFL defenses still have to respect the threat of the run, whether or not you have a good running game, because they can't get pulled out of position against the run. Otherwise, they'll give up chunk yardage. That's why the San Francisco 49ers run play action on like 80% of their plays. So play action passing is one key to it. Now, the other one would be dial up some shots for Daniel Jones downfield with the play action passing him. So not just play action RPOs in the quick West Coast passing scheme, but how about something like this? And we've seen them do this before, but we haven't seen them do it this season. How about Daniel Jones on a bootleg, fake the handoff to the left, roll to the right, Isaiah Hodgins on the over route. That's how he got all those yards against Minnesota um, again in the playoffs. Just those over routes, just run some of those off of the play action bootleg so you get Daniel Jones running into space with some deep shot routes over the top of the field and a lot of room to work with. 
These are plays that were in the playbook last season that have been absent through the first three weeks of this season. So there's two keys to getting Daniel Jones back on track. You've got to throw more play action in there and you have to take some more shot plays. Now here's the third key, Alex, and this is the one that I want to hear you talk about. Daniel Jones needs to have more opportunities to run the ball. This, this is something that I think is just bizarre to me because we watched last season, you know, people want to say Daniel Jones was the problem. He didn't score enough touchdowns. Well, he sure ran in seven touchdowns. He ran them down the field and then they punched it in with a running back many, many times. But Daniel Jones had 700 rushing yards and seven touchdowns last season. And a lot of those plays were quarterback designed runs. Now you would see Daniel Jones fake the bootleg, take off the left sideline. He did that against Indianapolis for a touchdown. He did that against Chicago for a touchdown. We've seen him do it numerous times. How about this season? We've seen it one time. I think they've probably called less than 10 quarterback design runs for him through three games, which is just crazy to me because you saw week two right out of the gate. First half, what did they do? Play action, shot play to Jalen Hyatt. Huge game. That's one of my keys that I've been talking about. Then the next play, the very next play, how about a read option? Daniel Jones keeps it and takes it up the sideline for a touchdown. So these are the things that the Giants have been doing right, but not enough. So I think that getting Daniel Jones to move out of the pocket, giving him these quarterback design runs, these are ways to get him back on track to mitigate the flaws of this offensive line that are going to be prevalent the entire season, and you know it. So the Giants coaching staff needs to change the offensive scheme. You can't keep dropping him back and expecting the pass protection to hold up. You know that it won't. So call these quarterback design runs. Don't give the pass rush an opportunity to get there and get some play action, get some moving pockets out there for Daniel Jones. So, Alex, I, I know I just, I also went on a long rant there. I got passionate just like you. This is a passionate topic that we're discussing today. But we've talked about Daniel Jones, the offensive line, all that stuff. What can the coaching staff do to help him, right? How can they put him in position to get these opportunities, make these plays? You know, I've, I've gone over a few, but I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. You know, with these quarterback design runs or these play action passes, how does the coaching staff help him? Because clearly the offensive line just cannot. Well, guys, as you can see, we're trying to get to the nuances of this conversation and not just, you know, make a, a generalized comment like, oh, Daniel Jones is bad or Daniel Jones is good. Like, we're trying to break this down for you. And I, so I found something interesting, Anthony. I think you're going to find this interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that tweet. And I referenced this, I think, in yesterday's episode or the day before, that the Daniel Jones and Justin Herbert were blitzed 82% of the time against the 49ers. Um, and then, of course, the Vikings, I believe, against the Chargers. So... I'm not sure if you saw that tweet. Both of them were blitzed on 82%. And then the conversation that people are saying is, oh my God, Justin Herbert had 400 yards and, five, and three touchdowns and Dan Jones had 135 yards and one touchdown. But I just went into the stats. Um, they were both blitzed 82% of the time. The Giants offensive line gave up 17 pressures and the Chargers offensive line gave up six pressures. All right, 17 pressures compared to six pressures, both were blitzed at an 82% clip. So how on God's green earth are people out there missing so much context with their narratives and arguments? You know what I mean? It's so easy to go on Twitter, post an arbitrary number and say, this guy blows. You know what I mean? But you actually do the research, you actually dive into it, and you can find out that you don't have to be so dumb. You don't have to be so freaking stupid. You actually can do the research yourself or you can come to us or anybody else that's actually looking at the numbers and find the context. Um, it just blows my mind how many people are willing to make rash, generalized comments without any sort of information to work off of. And look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sitting here defending Daniel Jones as the end-all be-all of the Giants. The most likely scenario, in my opinion, is that the Giants probably do not fix these issues for the next couple of years at a high level. It's gonna take, if they accomplish it, 
two or three years by that point, they might want to draft another quarterback to inject into a brand new system that this guy can walk into with a good offensive line, no bad habits, and is ready to take a big step forward and help this team win games. And Daniel Jones' contract goes by the wayside and they move on. I think that's probably what ends up happening because I don't think this team, this offensive line notably, is a year away from being elite. I think we need three years, two to three years for this team to finally get there. I think JMS is going to be great. We know Andrew Thomas is great. But the problem, Anthony, is that these guys can't stay healthy. Andrew Thomas is already dealing with a hamstring injury. He battled through an ankle injury the year before that and before that. And, you know, Ben Bredesen can't stay healthy. He missed a lot of time last year. He already had a concussion. Um, who knows if he can maintain his health. Marcus McKethan tore his ACL last year. He's finally getting time. Evan Neal's the only healthy one, and he is just bad every week anyway. Um, so <clears throat> at this point, how do you expect the offensive line to gel when none of them can stay freaking healthy? Like, yes, the Dallas Cowboys didn't have Zach Martin last week, but he's healthy like pretty much 95% of the time, um, or at least he fights through a lot of those issues and he still maintains his status as an elite guard in the NFL. So, you know, the problem here is multifaceted with the Giants. And focusing on the offensive line specifically, it is not going to get better until these guys can play consecutive games together. That's my problem. We have had four different offensive lines in, in four weeks now. We had Josh Azudu, who has never played left tackle before at the NFL level, start his first game in week two, played last week against one of the best passer rushes in football. You had Shane Lemieux, who hasn't played in since COVID, who gave up three sacks, and he was just in Daniel Jones' breadbasket every freaking play. Javon Kinlaw and Hargrave kicked the shit out of him. JMS, I mean, the guy is looking to his left and his right. He doesn't even know the name of the guy next to him at this point. You know what I mean? Every single week, your rookie center, man, you're giving your rookie center, and you're asking him to now work alongside two guys he's never played with on a weekly basis, of course it's going to be freaking terrible. Shane Lemieux, JMS has never worked with Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux has never worked with Shane Lemieux. And then you have right guard and Marcus McKethan, who at the same time is like a, basically a rookie coming off a significant injury. JMS is sitting there like, who the hell is that guy? You know, Evan Neal's out there like, I don't know, he's on rollerblades. You know, he's in the 1960s on a rollerblade on a date. I don't even know what's going on with him. I don't even know what to say about this offensive line anymore because at the end of the day, if they cannot get some consistent games together as a starting unit that isn't just complement, just constantly supplemented by reserves, they're never going to get to where we need them to be. You know what I mean? We need Andrew Thomas in there in week four. We need Ben Bredesen in there week four. JMS, Marcus McCathan, and Evan Neal. Those are the five I think they're going to stick with and they need to be playing every single week and that's the problem they haven't been um now teams go through injuries teams supplement injuries but not like this man i've never seen injuries at this pace before like it's just every year with us man it's every freaking year like there's always so many injuries there's always so much uh supplementary pieces coming in and having to replace guys that are always hurt and think about what that does for the chemistry of the team. Daniel Jones looks back there. He's like, who's playing running back this week? Who's my left tackle this week? Who's my left guard this week? Who's my right guard this week? Who's playing in the slot this week? It's not Shep. It's not Wandale. It's not this guy. It's not that guy. You know what I mean? Like, how do you ever get a sense of constancy or consistency when everyone around you is changing constantly? So that's kind of my, like, end-all, be-all. Is like, it's a team sport. But if your team is constantly changing and the one piece that's staying the same on a weekly basis is Daniel Jones, like it's like shit. Like how do you how do you get better like that? You know what I mean? Like think about if you started a new job and every single day was like, all right, it's the same thing. I know what I'm going to go do and you get better gradually. But imagine every single day the person that you were working with next to you that was an important part of your job was changing every week. You know what I mean? Every week you're like had to get used to someone else's style, had to get used to someone else's communication techniques or whatever it might be. You'd be pissed the hell off and you'd be like, damn. So what? One big piece of credit I'll give to Daniel Jones is he doesn't talk shit about his teammates. You know what I mean? He's like takes this as it goes and like never seems to affect him. 
And I feel like there's a lot of players in the league that probably would freak out. I mean, look at the Jets, man. You have Aaron Rodgers going on the on the Pat McAfee show saying like these they look like children on the on the on the sideline. Like they're yelling at the coaches. They're all frustrated. Garrett Wilson's upset. Zach Wilson's basically a ghost. You know what I mean? Like you you see what happens when a team collapses. Daniel Jones like doesn't get impacted by it. And I and I that's something that I can respect at the very least. Now he does need to be better. Um but he and guys like this is what I'll say about Daniel Jones. He's not one of the guys that like you said, 50% of his dropbacks he's getting pressured. He's not one of those guys that's going to suddenly like just like elevate a team out of a really bad situation where he's under duress all the time. But not many people can do that. You know what I mean? There's not many guys in the NFL that can navigate a situation as bad as that. Patrick Mahomes may be the only one, and even then, he has struggles. I mean, you guys probably remember the Super Bowl when they scored nine points against Tampa Bay, and his offensive line was Swiss cheese. He couldn't even get rid of the ball. You know what I mean? That's like what some of these guys in the NFL are dealing with on an everyday basis. And look, look at Kirk Cousins right now. Guy's on pace for over 6,000 yards, and he hasn't won a game this season. So, like, it's a team sport at the end of the day. And I hate, I hate how this debate has gotten so in between everyone being a Giants fan. You know what I mean? Like, we all want... Like, if you don't want Daniel Jones to succeed, why are you a fan of the Giants? Straight up. You should want this guy to be a great. You should want him to figure it out. You should want everybody on this team to figure it out. We can criticize them, absolutely. But not rooting for them is a whole different ballgame. And I feel like that's just, like... You know what's the point at the end of the day if you want to root for your, if you don't want to root for your players, um, it, we've let the hostility get to us to a degree. You guys are all Giants fans. I respect all you guys, um, and I and I think that we've had some really good conversations here. But at the end of the day, this conversation continuously like splits us in half, and a lot of people are just hating on each other. A lot of people are going after each other, and it's just like, you know, it's just it's a game, guys. It's it's football. It's just a game. It's not that big of a deal in the, in the real world. But end of the day, we want this team to be great. It affects my real world emotions, as you can tell. It pisses me off, so I want them to be really good. Uh, but at the end of the day, like this is not all on Daniel Jones. It's not all on anybody. It's a team collapse at times. It's a team effort. Everyone gets a share of the blame. Um, so I feel as though that's kind of what I wanted to get at. Is like. We can have this conversation all we want, but the truth is, you got to spread it around evenly. Um, and ultimately, like everyone has a little bit of say in this. Yeah, listen, there's plenty of blame to go around. You know, like we can say Daniel Jones has missed some opportunities. He's not playing his best football, but you also just can't cherry pick stats about Daniel Jones missing some opportunities and just say that he's the problem. Like, listen, during the first half of that game against Arizona, he was part of the problem, but there were a lot of problems with this team and there still are. You know, if you want to say Daniel Jones is part of the problem, okay, but it's only part. He's not the only problem. He's just part of it. The offensive line has been atrocious. The playmakers honestly have been underwhelming. We thought that we would see more from some of these guys. Um, The coaching staff, though, that's the one that's really shocking to me, Alex. I just can't believe the regression from last year to this year, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but even on the defensive side of the ball. I know this is a Daniel Jones episode, but Wink Martindale, the regression through these first three weeks compared to last season, I mean, he was dialed in last year, blitzing at the right opportunities, not overdoing it. The tackling from the entire team was great. They all looked well coached. This year, I mean, all of those are pretty much opposites compared to last season, but then the offensive side of the ball as well. Mike Kafka, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand your game plan here, but I do have one last stat that I want to throw out there before we wrap this up. Just to kind of continue to build what I'm saying in terms of um, 
this uh, coaching staff not doing Daniel Jones any favors because here I just I've been hitting on this play action thing for weeks and weeks, but I'm just gonna hit on it one last time before we wrap up here. So Daniel Jones on play action versus no play action according to Pro Football Focus. No play action has been 70% of his dropbacks, meaning only 30% of his dropbacks have been under play action. Now he has a 54.5 offensive grade on Pro Football Focus when throwing with no play action. That number jumps all the way up to 91.4 when throwing with play action. He has zero interceptions and zero turnover-worthy plays, according to Pro Football Focus, when throwing with play action. Now, he also has his only two big-time throws of the season when throwing with play action, which are both of those two throws to Jalen Hyatt. So, you are seeing here... Just an insane difference between how Daniel Jones has been playing this season without the play action and how he's been playing with it. His time to throw is a little bit shorter, but that doesn't mean that he has less time to throw because his pressure rate is significantly lower on the play action throws. It means that he's getting the ball out quicker because the offense is opening up for him on those play action passes. Now, he hasn't necessarily scored a touchdown on those play action passing attempts, but he also hasn't thrown an interception. He's thrown four interceptions with no play action attempts which are all four of the interceptions that he has on the season. So looking at Daniel Jones off play action, 84.6% adjusted completion percentage. That is an astronomically high number compared to his 69.2% with no play action. So I just wanted to leave you all with that wrapping up closing thoughts here. We've said a lot about Daniel Jones. We've praised him. We've criticized him. But my number one complaint here, and it has been this way for the past four weeks, it is always going to be, until they fix this error, it's going to be Mike Kafka's play calling, his game planning here, not relying on the play action passing game while Daniel Jones is thriving under play action. This needs to be the focal point of their offense. He threw play action only 15% of the time against the San Francisco 49ers. Why don't we take a look at what Brock Purdy did? How many times was he throwing under play action? I guarantee you it was at least 60% of his passes had play action in that game. I don't have the numbers pulled up, but seriously, guys, Daniel Jones, he needs more opportunities. He needs to make the most of those opportunities for sure, but he definitely needs more opportunities. And they need to start calling these game plans that fit his playing style, fit what his strengths are, so that he could be put into the position to make those plays, get those opportunities, succeed, and lead the Giants to win. So, Daniel Jones, long passionate rants from Alex and I here, debates, whatever you want to call it, but I really do think that we broke down the Daniel Jones situation pretty well here in terms of how he's been this season, how he was last year, and what this future could hold for the former Duke quarterback. So Daniel Jones, please let us know your thoughts on him down below. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on this topic down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, we will catch you all in the next one. Have a good one and let's go Giants.